0: Riparian areas can be like the value added product of the wetlands you have on your land if you manage them right and if you choose to leave your wetlands intact, which I really hope you do. Wetlands itself are great for maintaining the water table and are a source of water for cattle should that be part of your grazing plan or if your dugouts begin to run low. Now that value added to a wetland that can be found in a riparian area is seemingly endless. You got water filtration, food for wild game, habitat for native pollinators, and forage if you find yourself in a dry year. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Rooster Climate Solutions, we're taking another look at riparian areas. Welcome back to the Rural Rooster Climate Solutions podcast, Getting Through Drought series, where we're exploring the best management practices that cow-calf producers in Alberta can put into action during or before a drought in this episode we're talking to yet another rancher from brazo county who's also involved in alice canada to get an additional perspective on why riparian areas can be handy in times of drought in this episode we'll be hearing from art gortzen of adelum ranch both art and the ranch have interesting backstories
1: our quick story is we grew up in abbotsford bc and my family all immigrated here from paraguay south america where they farmed and had cattle when I met my wife, we both said, let's move to a rural town in Alberta and start to farm a ranch. We didn't know much about it other than I grew up in town and so did my wife. Uh, we both grew up in a city, but we both knew what we wanted out of life the future. It took a while for us. so It was only a year or two after we got married, we moved out here to Spruce Grove, bought an acreage, because at that time acreages were the same price as a house in town. For us living in a basement suite where we could hardly see the grass in Abbotsford to six acres, we thought we'd made it. This is our ranch. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we're starting it. Uh, It didn't take long after we came out here, we realized we needed more than that for what we wanted. And so it was a long process to scrimp and save and figure out how we could do this and actually become I don't know, legit farmers and ranchers. And and we bought our land and home about 9 or 10 years ago. And that's really when it started. Like, we're very new. When you contacted me about podcasts, I was like, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, about, I'm just learning. But a lot of my our friends in the area, and I would call somebody half hour away a neighbor. So a lot of our friends and neighbors, I mean, they've been so helpful in teaching us. And a lot of them are generation third fourth generation on their farm i love that i hope mm-hmm. our ranch will be that one day we of the fourth generation but i fished a lot in bc i love fishing and i was think of farming very similar like when you find your spot your fishing hole you don't want to tell anybody you know <laughs> this is my fishing hole i know what i'm using to catch them I don't really want to announce to everybody what it is. And we did find some farmers or ranchers in the area that were were like that. Well, no, you figure it out on your own. And at that time, I was 45. And I said, look, I'm 45. I, I don't have time to figure this all out on my own. I, I need to be taught. I need to figure it out. And that's when we, we really started going to every weekend seminar, watching podcasts and, and really digging in and talking with neighbors and How did you do that? Why does this field look different than that field? And how does this all work? So, we've really been learning the whole time. And that's always my biggest advice to any farmer, rancher I talk to. I go, just never, never settle in, never settle into arrogance that I know the answer. Like, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the way to farm. And we came in with no equipment no knowledge and instead how do we make this work we have one skid steer that's it we do everything with that so we've had to learn farm with what we have so we're not saying this is the right way to do it we're just saying there's a bunch of us that want to do this and live this life and to be a part of you know of being good stewards of land and good producers of cattle but this is all we've got so we're going to do the best with what we've got That's what we've really learned over the past 10 years. There's great people
0: up there. They're so willing to just pass on knowledge and and help you out. And here's the backstory behind the name of the ranch.
1: I don't want to sound like a religious guy. You know, I was born into a family, you know, God-fearing family. I went to church whenever we woke up on time, sort of, (laughs) thing. you know. I have learned a lot that that's been an instructional book for us, you know, how to raise our children or How for me to be a good husband to my wife, good father to my kids, and even a good rancher, to be honest, a good rancher and farmer, it's all in there. My wife and I both just came into our our thoughts one day was Adalam. And Adalam is a place, I don't know if you know David, you know, David and Goliath, most people know that story. And David hid from Saul in the caves of Adalam, and it was a hiding place, a refuge, And we love that. And we said, we want our ranch. In our mind, we don't think just our generation. We think about our kids. We think about our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids. You know, we want this to be a generational ranch. Even when we bought it, we checked around in the area because we're close to some coal mines. And we wanted to make sure that the coal mines are not going to come in and take our land 100 years from now. Want to make sure that there isn't coal under there that they want because we do want to pass this on to our kids if they want it. But that's our dream. So we always wanted this place to be a place of refuge, and that's what it's been. As we have friends come, still from BC. We just had a friend over from Ireland for a couple weeks, and they come, and we always say this is a refuge, a hiding place, a place that you can come and just enjoy and and walk, work
0: if you want, don't work if you don't want, and and that's how that name Adelam Ranch came about. I've come across some unique farm and ranch names doing this work, but I think Adelam might be one of the most unique ones. We have the
1: home quarter we bought, like you say, about 10 years ago. I think it was vacant for a couple years, uh, the owners, I believe were in their 80s and had moved already, and we walked it and went, yeah, this is the right place for us, and and that's where we started everything. I think our first year, we bought two cows, and let's figure us out. We don't know how cows work. We didn't know how hard they would be on fences, and oh, they need water here. And we really watched those two cows to see how they worked in what was there. It was quite dilapidated, everything. The fences were breaking down, and all that sort of thing. Uh, again, we look for a lot of help friends and neighbors for knowledge, but also to programs like Alice, you know, Mm -hmm. say, we can't do this on our own. We just need some help to to get going. Uh, We didn't come in with millions to just set up a little operation. But we learned from two cows and then we just kept growing and growing and growing from there and knew that we wanted to be cow-calf producers. We really love the animals. We don't do any crops at all. We have, uh, we rent out getting our uh, hay cut on the fields that we do cut. The more that we bale graze, the less we cut.
0: Art is a big fan of bale grazing. We had a pretty good chat about it, but unfortunately it didn't make it into the final cut of this episode. There is one valuable lesson about bale grazing that Art shared during the interview that I want to share with you, even though it is a slight deviation from our topic at hand of drought and BMPs cow-calf producers can use to get through drought.
1: I wasted money. We bale grazed, and then I, I, it didn't look good afterwards when the spring came. And uh, so I went and bought harrows, and I tried harrow shoes, <laughs> It made it look even worse. <laughs> and then the guy who taught us how to bale graze said, ah, you just wrecked it. And I tell you, seven years later, I can still see where I wrecked it. It's amazing. I can still see where I harrowed. It was so important to leave that compost on the ground. And now I can take you out into one field and, and show you the lines and say, five years ago, we bale grazed there. And I can show you every line of where we bale grazed. It's that different. What we've learned is you can't cut after you've bale grazed for probably three or four years. It just really needs to decompose and get flat again. Uh, otherwise, it's so rough. We find the year right after, I mean, you want to cut it. Because it's twice as high as everything. It's just lush and high. If I want to get in there, and cut it. But unfortunately, you bring up a lot of the cow's waste. And remember, it all gets baled into your bales. And it's not a good thing. So you can graze them, fall graze them in there again. But uh, you have to really let it decompose for a few years. And then it's not so rough in the tractor either. I know our neighbor has said it's too rough to get in there and cut just too bumpy i'm getting thrown all over on the tractor so we're learning learning that part of it but really love the deal but the more we do it the less we cut
0: i actually didn't realize that with bale grazing that it's best not to cut hay in the same area for the next three to four years makes sense though i wonder if it also depends on what part of alberta you find yourself in next up i asked art what are some of the environmental factors he has to work with at his ranch
1: yeah, we have our, our home quarter. has a creek that runs almost through the middle of it. And it's not a year creek, it's just a runoff creek. So it really only runs on a good year. It'll run two months, maybe three months uh, on a really good year. And then it goes into our neighbor's quarter and then over into another quarter that we have. And then that quarter goes right into the North Saskatchewan River. So we're right right on a bend in the river. So we get some unusual weather. Our our neighbors will and, and neighbors meaning really five minutes down the road we'll be getting rain and we're not getting rain. For some reason, I don't know what it is, and someday somebody'll tell me. We look at our, our map on the phone and go, here's this huge portion of red and green and yellow coming, where yes, we're gonna get some rain and it just divides. It just parts. And so we don't get a lot of rain. Like last year we got eight inches and all year and the year before was worse. We got Five to seven inches, so it wasn't very much. And the runoff last year was bad. We still had water. I mean, that's a thing with cattle: water and feed. You just have to all everything we look at, whether it's uh, pasturing our cattle somewhere else, which we have to, or buying more land. We always say, "What's on there for water, and what's the feed value that needs to come into play?" You can't buy a quarter section for six hundred thousand or even three hundred and not know is there water on there, what's it gonna cost me to get the water on there? And what's the feed value? And is it going to be there like that yearly or not? That creek is, is great for us because it runs through and usually pools on what we call our grazing quarter. It's mainly bush. That one that goes into the river, it pools there and gives them a great water source. This year, the pool, I would walk right through it. There's no water, no water left. There were little pockets on the creek, because the creek does go all the way right into North Saskatchewan. So there were little pockets, very small, like if our dog jumped in, he couldn't touch touch the bottom, but, but very small pockets, just enough that we could put cattle up there for a few weeks, but we wouldn't want to push it. And normally we could put them out for longer, but uh, but that's about it.
0: Art uses something he refers to as a three-layer system when it comes to watering cattle. This three-layer system is a key part of his drought plan.
1: When it comes to water for our animals, we strive to have three layers of water. So, we go, so a creek like that, a natural off run creek, that's a great layer. So that's our plan for water. And if that plan doesn't work, what's our next plan for water, our next plan if our are the pools where the water has collected over the years. Uh, we have solar waters that we can pump out of there. If that's dry, what's our next layer? Our next layer is, you know, we have a well with a solar water on it. So we try to do everything for feed, for water, to have layers of how we can do it. So our first one, the easiest one, cheapest fun is just to take that water runoff creek and let them drink from there. But if that's not there, Yeah, we're pulling out the solar waters, getting them to water out of there. That doesn't work, which didn't work this year. Our next layer was, okay, we do have a, we did get a well drilled. We do have a solar pump on there and a good solar water. A lot more expensive to get that all set up, but we had to have that layer. Now, even within those layers, we have a certain way we like to move our cattle around those two quarters. Um, The more you can control that, the better. As, as you know, you, you don't want to graze down to nothing. Uh, it's just so, I totally get some guys who are saying, I have no choice. I I have no feet. I, I get those hard, hard, hard times are there sometimes. And we can't knock people who, who do that as much as I say, try your hardest not to do that. Um, it still does happen. We can only do what we can do. So there are way that we like to move our cattle to minimize how hard that is on the land the best way is our first layer of water the next way is the second last is the third so Mm. that's been our plan that there there really isn't a quick fix to it i would love to say if you do
0: this you'll be fine the next drought but it's a long-term plan next art explains how he manages the riparian areas on his land
1: we fenced off, and this is how we got involved with Alice years ago. So we fenced off that whole creek, both sides. Uh, there was already a kind of a roadway big enough for a tractor to go over with a culvert. So we fenced all that off, that whole creek off. Did some planting in there through the Alice project as well. And what we found, cattle are hard. They're they're hard on land and they're good for the land. I mean, there's been. Uh, I'm not going to get into this because I'm not that knowledgeable of it all, but there are a number of studies that show how cattle do benefit land. It usually gets focused in on the hard areas. Uh, When we look at, as an Alice project, when we had an aerial view map, the area producers on the team are going, yeah, I can see where cows went, I know where the water is, I know where they trout, you can see all that. So we kind of know, yeah, that's where the cattle are going, and that that's what looks hard if you take a close picture of that and just look at that, it looks like cattle are really hard on the land they're hard they are hard on those creek areas. You can put them in there. there's nothing wrong with that, but at certain times of the year uh you know definitely not uh you put them in through the summer when it's rainy and wet, and they're sloughing in all the sides of the creek and when the creek gets redirected all over it's not good for anything, so we do our best to. Fence off the creek area to plant in there what we can, bird houses, things like it. anything that we can do that we believe is good for that area. And and we've seen it over the years just grow and really just strengthen. So everything from, because we're thinking of water, run, it's still melt, water running off. What's it going through? Well, uh, all that's filtering the water too. You know, it's going through all that vegetation. Not only feeding it, filtering it, and it comes out of our creek, and it's better for us two miles down the creek because mm. we've concentrated on making this area stronger, healthier, and that's why we did that. and And it's been great. We have seen it grow. Uh, we just had a, a company come in and do some checking and testing. I don't. We haven't seen the results yet uh, to know how that's been affected over. I think uh, maybe four years that project has been. So I'm I'm looking forward. I know because I see it. I'm curious what agrologists
0: say about that whole creek area. So my follow up question here was: Did having well managed riparian areas help out during the drought of 2021?
1: Yeah, I think again, like I said, in making it healthier, we started that years ago. It is able to give you more than just the runoff water. It's more than that. Like I've already said, it's about not just the runoff water being good, but also collecting that. And I, I keep coming back to the the layers for us as cow calf producers, you know, everything comes down to feed and water for us. So that's the way we have to look at it. So in making that area healthy, it was not only good for feed, which we you know, cows do go in there. We let them in at certain times of the year in the fall to go in there to graze. So it's good for that. But also it's healthy for that land too to have some of those things cut off and eaten off. And that fertilizer is great. Put them in there for a short period of time um, before they do get all their paths and and wreck the creek and things like that. So we, we, we do our best to put them in for that period of time. How did it help during a drought year? It was tough. Like I see this year was worse than last year for mm. us. Like there was just no water collection out there. The water that came in, was just gone. I don't know if it was just too dry from last year. It's through It was almost the year after the drought was worse than the drought year. The drought year was, was bad, but the water collection areas were still there. They were low, but they were still there. But this year, yeah, there's nothing. just all those collection areas. So, that really forced us. I said we needed to maneuver our cattle all different. We needed to maneuver them around our well water source because the natural water sources just were not there. Hmm. Weren't there. So, I know it's expensive to set up something like that. You have to have a backup when it comes to that. And as far as the land itself, I know it's doing good things. I know from the vegetation that I see the plants that are growing, even the animals that come through there. I mean, we have being so close to the river, we have everything. We have elk and cougars and bears and all the animals you can think come through there because they follow the river. They're doing the same thing our cattle do. They're that they need food and water. They're doing the same thing. They're looking for food and water, and we're trying to give that to our cattle, food and water. But uh, this year was tough. You you see. Certain animals aren't there because the water is just not there. So they're hugging closer to the river. They're not coming as far inland as they have before. So it's helped, definitely. I think our water sources are lasting longer because of the healthy vegetation around it. And securing it with fencing has been a great help as well. So it just, it doesn't erode as bad as it can. Without taking care of those banks, without having healthy vegetation there, you get mini creeks. I, I don't know all the technical terms for this. this is what I call it. You yeah, get yeah. these mini creeks a hundred feet up the creek, where normally water would flow in somewhat evenly on the sides, come down. You're getting these little mini creeks. So they're bypassing all this all these plants and vegetation they're bypassing and just coming straight down because that's where there's no vegetation there's just dirt and so it's getting washed down into the creek and it's missing all this other vegetation So the more you can stabilize those banks the more you kind of get this even water flow down mm. uh, filtering through and watering everything and then going down Creekway that's what I see uh, all the techno, Technical things of what that is, I don't know, but that's what I see personally along our, our Creek area.
0: You mentioned that usually you'll just let the cows into the riparian area at a certain time of year, and that time of year tends to be the fall. Was it different this year and last year, just because you're running out of forage, That did you wind up letting them in earlier?
1: No, we're, we're pretty diligent about that. The more time and effort you put into protecting that, the less you want to see it destroyed. You know, But we'll just put, you know, we put more money into feed this year to buy in feed and less money into our infrastructure. We needed some more panels this year. We're slowly replacing pens, all the wood fencing in our handling system. And we slowly replace that. Every year, we kind of take a chunk of money and put it towards that. This year, we didn't. We just said, uh, we put the cows in there. They It would it'd be too much for that right bearing area. So we're just going to take away from the money we're going to put into the handling system area, put it into feed, and just start feeding them a little bit sooner. Like I say, I'm not knocking anybody who's going through a tough time. And, and I'm sad when I go by fields that are just... Decimated? Is that the right word? Like there just seems to be nothing left there. And I go, it's not just this year. You're going to, it's going to hit you hard next year because the good vegetation is not going to come back. It's going to take you, you know, probably a few years of being really strict on how you manage that land to get it to come back if it comes back. I know when we bought our land, that's what it was. It was overgrazed, it was very weedy very sparse. It takes a long time to get that to come back and to get some health back into your land. Because we know that, we just can't seem to bring ourselves to leave the cattle in there so long that they're going to wreck it. Same with the amp grazing and all that. I mean, it's so, so important to watch what they're eating, to just let them chew off the tops and move. It's so hard. You go, there's so much more there yet. Before you think you should, you should probably move them.
0: If you're a cow-calf producer, or really any kind of producer, and you're listening to this right now, here are Art's words of advice to you for getting through a drought.
1: You just can't wait for things to, to fail before you prepare for them. Like, you just, you have to prepare. You know, just to go back to the Bible one second, but there was a story where there was going to be seven years of plenty, and then seven years of drought, and... They talked about how you, you need to get your silos prepared, you know, get them full for the seven years that are to come. That's how we try to do everything at our ranch. We go take, okay. it's some good years, but it same with finances or anything. If you're going to spend when you've got it and don't spend when you don't, you're going to have some really hard times. But if you try to level it out, budget, it's the same with this. You have to look ahead and go, okay, well, this year is good and everything's nice what if a drought comes? Okay, we have to have some plans in place. So, is there anything that I would say, hey, drought's coming next year, what what do you do? It's too late. Mm. In one sense, it's too late. You can do it, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot more if you're in a rush than if you would have planned for it. So, if you can kind of spread that, if I was saying a drought's coming next year, I'd say you better drill some wells, get some good waters out there, and uh, do this and do that but it's got to be you got to think ahead we did the same with our riparian areas we we fenced them off you know is that going to do anything this year probably not much next year probably not much the year after a little bit the year after that a little bit more it's it just takes time i think to make all that healthy like i say we're we're newer into it so we're trying some things but Everything we do, there has to be good value to it, what I'm trying to say. I say the same thing to my customers and in my other business. You know, I go, there has to be value to it. Yeah. So to what we're doing. And, and I will talk some of my customers out of doing their kitchen. I go, it just, it doesn't, the value isn't there for you. If you're moving in two years, don't spend all this money doing your kitchen. Because the next person that buys your house. Is I would love to have you as a customer. But I, I know that those things, for me, I think farther ahead. So, you'll be my customer four years. I'm not worried about you being my customer today. It's the same in farming and ranching. You just have to look at the value in the future. And a lot of times we don't do that. We just don't look at that value. I know that there's things that we're doing today that my kids will benefit from. I'm okay with that. I am pay okay that. I will never see the benefit for some of these things, but my kids will see them. And I hope that I've instilled in them the same value that they'll say there's things that we're doing today. My kids will benefit. That's the only advice I would give to the selling is just plan ahead and start, even if the drought's coming next year. Do something that's working towards a better, healthier system, and it will pay off later.
0: We hope you enjoyed our fifth installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We've got a few more episodes coming your way soon. We'd also like to take this opportunity to thank Nancy Chambers of Brazo County and Alice Canada for connecting us with two great producers with two great stories to tell. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with Climate Solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanca, Cheyenne Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by results-driven agricultural research, or Hardar. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, so that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta and remember what's good for the climate is good for the farm.